Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze. Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. And today, we're talking about Easter. Is it a Christian holiday? What? How do you ask that? Well, I've brought a couple people along to talk about that and to do a little digging around that area. Uh, the first one, you guys might might have heard him a couple times. He happens to be the producer of the show, Mr. Michael Blaze. Hello, everybody. And the second one, well, we know she's been a repeat guest because she actually took over one of my shows, which is fine by me. Uh, Sonda Ellison, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. I didn't take it over. <laughs> I just like strong arms. You hijacked it. Admit it, Sonda. You hijacked it. <laughs> hey, you're welcome to hijack it anytime you want. Just say no, it's, it's called guest hosting. That's what I did. It was guest hosting. Uh, Actually, it's well, anyway, uh, <laughs> I've, I've seen it done on other shows. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys can tell we have a lot of fun. I'm going to forego the housekeeping. You guys know what's going on. If you have any questions, uh, you can send me an email, Teresa at unresolved.life. Uh, Teresa, uh, let's just mention one. Yes. Social hazard is going to be out soon. We don't yeah. know exactly when. We ran into some difficulties with Teresa going out of town. We kind of got our schedule a little goofed up. But by, by May 1st, for sure. We're, we're, we'll have our first episodes out. And I can't wait. Uh, this, uh, this one is near and dear to my heart. So. Yeah, and then I and then I'm hoping, 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 Lord willing, I can have the Teresa Blaze show out. So, other than those two things, I want to I want to kind of move into the content because this is this is a massive subject. Yeah, and I want to open this um, with a story. Uh, when I was a teenager and I was going uh, to school, I had a teacher named Kurt Fisk, and I I'm I'm just a little baby Christian. I'm trying to figure things out. Yada yada yada, and. I walk in and I, and I say, and I tell him happy Easter. And he looks at me and he goes, well, I don't celebrate Easter. Now keep in mind, I knew he was a believer because we had had many conversations. And so I'm kind of taken aback. What? Why don't you celebrate Easter? Because it's pagan. And, I'm, and I, I didn't know what to do with that. I was like, wait, it's celebrating Christ. And he kind of told me a couple things, but I, you know, that, that it just didn't really uh, resonate at the time. Fast forward a few years. And, uh, Ms. Saunders showed me a video, which we will be linking on the show notes. Yes, and this video, guys, don't. Uh, this is not one for your kids to be watching. It's yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty potent. Yeah, this is one of those ones you just want to keep the kiddos away. But it is one of the most well done videos on this subject I have ever seen. I'm gonna kind of open this up with a kind of, I guess, a very. Sonda, you can take this wherever we need to go. Easter. We're just celebrating Christ, right? What's the problem? <laughs> yeah, and you know what? For those of us that are on this side of the tunnel, what a journey it is. Because like, um, like many people who are listening, I was raised with that as well. It's become, part, it's become the tradition of the Western Christian church, so-called, in the broadest sense. But before we get into that, let's just start with um, a different come at it from a different angle. So let's, for just a moment, I'm asking all of our listeners, let's just pretend for a moment that you live in the first century. The congregations are, have been formed after the death of uh, the Messiah, Yeshua. 
and they are faithful to do what they're doing, there's a vast difference between the behavior of the believers and of the people who are not believers. So when we get outside of Jerusalem, we're not even talking about the Jewish community. We're talking about in Rome, we're talking about Greece, we're talking about all over that part of the world. The norm was pagan ritual. And it's hard for us to really wrap our minds around that. So I want you to just think about that for a minute, because all of this goes back to Nimrod. So I want you to think about for a moment that you were raised to celebrate Nimrod. You were raised with the religion of the sun god. You were raised doing worship that included temple priests who would have sex with the virgins that were brought to them during the feast in the temple on the altar. You know, this is the kind of stuff that was in the ancient world at the time. And I'm not quite sure why, but I've never heard this, I don't think very clearly ever taught from a pulpit. No. We need to understand. Yeah, we're not talking about a better of both options being good. We're talking about complete corruption. We're talking about child sacrifice. We're talking about infanticide. We're talking about sexual um, ritual. This was the norm for the religious practices around the world at that time, because all of this is the absolute inversion of what? The absolute inversion of God's way. So that's what was going on in the world. Now, you got to remember, since this goes back to Nimrod, there was something called the flood. And most of the people, even most non-believers, know about the flood that's connected to Noah. Well, as I recall, there is a flood story in every major religion, including some of the ancient religions. Right. Absolutely. And Nimrod was the great-grandson of Noah. So let's put that in context, okay? So his great-granddad, who was alive, okay, because remember, they lived a lot longer than we do now. So we know that Nimrod knew his great-granddad. They knew each other. He heard the family stories. His dad told him the stories, okay? But he became the king and then... um, of the whole known world after the flood. He's the one who built the Tower of Babel and he built the city of Nineveh. Do you remember Nineveh? Yes, the one that Jonah was supposed to go talk to. And he didn't want to go because it was so violent and so corrupt. Okay, Nimrod had unusual strength and there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could get into, but that's another program on on going down a rabbit trail. We don't want to go for this program. He had unusual strength. He was rebellious. He was known for drunkenness. He had an unusual ability to deceive. And when he died, he was deified and became what was known as the sun god. And one of the names that he is known by throughout the ancient world is Baal. And if you're pronouncing it correctly for the scholars, if there are any scholars out there trying to think we don't know what we're talking about, technically it's supposed to be said Baal. Okay, we know that. But um, most people just kind of common people just refer to it as Baal. Now, here's the short story of this, and there's a lot more to it, but the short story kind of sets the backdrop. Otherwise, we can't understand where this comes from. So remember, I'm trying to get you to understand you grew up in the ancient world. You grew up with all of those pagan rituals. You grew up with the sexual sacrifices on the, ta- on the altar during the pagan sacrifices. Here's what happens. So Nimrod marries Semiramis. Then Nimrod dies. Now, as the legend goes, as the story goes, Semiramis became pregnant by the sun rays because Nimrod was named the sun god. Okay, so Semiramis supposedly becomes pregnant from the sun's rays 
and she gives birth to Tammuz. But then guess what? Tammuz marries his mother. Okay. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So Semiramis and Nimrod, Nimrod was known as Osiris in Egypt, Baal in Phoenicia. In Greece, he was known as Adonis or Eros. And we get the word erotic from his God name of Eros, Adonis or Eros. And then in Rome, he, his name was Cupid. Now we can't even go down that rabbit trail either, but that's, that's yuck. Okay. So Semiramis, her name in Egypt was Isis. In Phoenicia, it was Ashtoreth. And in Greece, it was Aphrodite and Rome, Venus. Okay. So these are the same two people. All of these names of the gods all go back to Nimrod and Semiramis. So Semiramis and Tammuz, her son, get married in every sense of the of the word, and they then ruled the world. He Tammuz ruled the world and took, taking his father's place. He was killed during his fortieth year by a wild boar. Then Semiramis died, and but Baal sent her back to Earth in a giant egg that exploded in the Euphrates. When she came out of this egg. The first thing she did was she turned a bird into an egg-laying rabbit. Now, this is really important because in the ancient world and all of the pagan, pagan religions, eggs were a sign of fertility and rabbits were a sign of fertility. So she created an egg-laying rabbit. So that's like double fertility, right? On the, after the spring equinox, the first Sunday after the spring equinox was known as Ishtar's Sunday. And on Ishtar's Sunday, they would do a sunrise service. Um, the priests would impregnate a virgin on the altar. They would take the three-month-old babies from the year before, and they would sacrifice them on the altar. Then they would dip eggs in the blood. So what you just heard me tell you is where we got the date of Easter Sunday is the first Sunday after the spring equinox, which is Ishtar Sunday. That's where the date of Easter Sunday comes from. They had a sunrise service where all of this pagan ritual was done. That's where we get the sunrise service because it's worshiping the sun god. At the sunrise service, they're doing those babies in sacrifice. They dipped the eggs in the blood, and that is where we got Easter eggs from. And to this day, all around the world, it is universal for those that celebrate Easter in these, these festivals. The universal color for Easter eggs to this day is still red. That's also where we got the Easter ham because Tammuz was killed by a wild boar. That's also where the 40 days of the Lent fast comes from because they did the 40 day fast leading up to the celebration for Tammuz. So the whole thing goes back to Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. So the question becomes okay, so if you're in the ancient world and you were raised with all of this stuff, and then someone comes along and says, I'm a believer in Yeshua. He's the, he's the Messiah. But we're told to come out of those things and, and to not be not to participate in those types of celebrations. They'd think, you're crazy. Come on. The whole world does this. Right? You're crazy. What's wrong with you, you weirdo? No wonder they got a whole bunch of grief back then because it wasn't just they're leaving one religion for another. They were leaving vile pagan practices. Yes, but they derived power from these practices because they are occult. They experienced feelings in these services. So see, we have to really be careful. This is why, as a matter of fact, one of the verses that I wrote down that we wanted to pay attention to is, where is it? Judges 2.13. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. Okay, so everything having to do with Baal and Ashtoreth in scripture is always absolutely, utterly forbidden. 
In Leviticus 18.30, he says, keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came and do not defy yourselves with them. I am the Lord, your God. In Mark, yes, 7, yeah, in Mark 7, he says, and in vain, they worshiped me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men or laying aside, which in the Greek, it also means sent forth like you're sending it away. You're pushing it away. So they were pushing away the commandments of God to hold to the traditions of men. And these were the traditions of men in the ancient world. So here's another aspect to to look at this, and then let's have some discussion after I give you this piece. Exodus in chapter 32, verse 5, this is talking about the golden golden calf incident. And I actually looked this up, and I wanted us to see it in the Hebrew. So in 32, and this is the first one in chapter 32, and when the people saw that Moshe delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Haron and said to him, make us. Elohim, which that word means God when it's with a small e, it's a word for God, make for us an Elohim, a God, which shall go before us, or as far as this Moshe, the man that brought us up out of the land of Mitzrayim, which is Egypt, we know not what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your women, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned them with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, these be your Elohim, your gods, O Yisrael, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Do you hear this? God, the one and only God, the king of the universe, the only God of all gods, just did all of this miraculous stuff to bring them out of the land of Egypt, miraculously, supernaturally, with miracles, preserved their lives when they were chased caused them to walk through the Red Sea on dry land. They now built a golden calf and declared that the golden calf was the one who did all of this stuff that God just did. What are you thinking? Okay. Okay. And so when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And then Aaron made a proclamation and said, here's what I wanted to get to. Aaron made a proclamation and then said, tomorrow is a feast to Yahuwah. And he was saying the real God's name. Okay. And that's very important here. Tomorrow is a feast to Yahuwah. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rise up and play. This is one of the most profound examples in scripture for us to see someone doing pagan practice and trying to attribute it to the real God. So let's talk about this now that I've given you some things to think about. Now let's start talking about it. I want to kind of bring in because I've actually heard like from the pulpit when this is actually dealt with or these subjects are even touched a pastor say I know that there is some issue with Easter. However, we are celebrating the resurrection of Christ as long as we are doing that you know, we don't, I don't want to get off on that tangent. I have literally heard pastors tell me that from the pulpit. Yes, we all have. And you know what? It's not, a pro, it's, it's not an excuse. And here's why. Matter of fact, I wrote down a com- couple of quotes that help on that particular issue. Constantine is the one that documents this for us, okay, in 325 AD. This is Constantine's own documentation, okay? All of the congregations of the Lord throughout 
Jerusalem, Syria, and Mesopotamia, all of the congregations of the Lord, celebrate the resurrection on Passover because that's when he was, okay? They all say, celebrated the resurrection the 14th day of the first Hebrew month, which is Nisan. That's when we are told to celebrate Passover. So the entire, all of the congregations of the Lord were celebrating on that day. And then he says, but the Roman churches went on, went to, to doing it on a Sunday, the first Sunday after the vernal equinox. Well, gee, does that sound familiar? The first Sunday after the vernal equinox was the Feast of Tammuz and Ishtar. Okay, so the Roman churches went to the Sunday, the first Sunday after the vernal equinox, after the spring equinox, after which is that celebration. And Constantine then moved it to align with Rome. And he said, this is a quote, we should perpetrate to all future ages the celebration of this rite on this day. Okay, let's back up. So he knew what this whole thing represented and he still chose to like why this gets into you know um for those listeners who have heard me with with you on your program before they know that my specialty is spiritual warfare i think this is a leviathan spirit at work but the other problem is i think a lot of people have believed um half truths or another type of twisting about constantine being a christian Maybe he was a Christian at some point, but he certainly wasn't a mature believer following after the word of the Lord. So to say, oh, well, Constantine was a Christian and Constantine chose to do this. That's not an excuse, because when you really look into who Constantine was and what he actually did and why he was choosing to do these things, it's not of the Lord. It's not following the word of the Lord. So we can't make that excuse anymore. So we have to stop this regurgitating this half-truth or the lie that Constantine was some sort of a holy man who was following after the word of the Lord. He was not. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the Catholic Church and all the symbolism that goes into the Catholic Church and the history of the Catholic Church, and I mean, I, I, that's another thing the video covers, actually, is it talks a lot about uh, the sim- all the different symbols and how these symbols are being used actively in within the Catholic, the Catholic Church. Church. And yeah. believe me, guys, this when I sat back and I watched this entire video that, again, it's going to be linked in the show notes. When I sat back and I watched this video, my jaw about hit the floor. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like Constantine's not a good guy, people. Well not, well, not necessarily. You know, whether or not he was truly saved at some point, may, maybe he was. But we've been sold this idea, and I know it was that way when I was a kid. We were sold this idea, especially from the pulpit, because we were celebrating Easter. We were told from the pulpit that, or from the teachers or the leadership of the churches that we do this because Constantine was a good guy and this is why he did it. And because we wanted to celebrate it because it was, no, they were going away from what the word of the Lord said. And they knew they were doing so. It was, it was a twisting. It was... You know, and the best lies, matter of fact, there's a great, great quote that I didn't write down that was from Abraham Lincoln, but he said something about, it's not a direct quote, but in, in spirit, the spirit of his quote was that the best way to destroy your friend is to become a friend. I'm sorry, the best way to destroy your enemy is to become a friend. And this is what the enemy has been seeking to do since the beginning of time when he fell. Ever since he fell, there is no redemption for him. The word of God tells us this. There is no redemption for him. He is not just trying to get you to die without knowing the Lord. 
He wants to cause as much mayhem, destruction, pain and suffering and confusion, all of the things that are opposite to the spirit of the Lord for as long as he possibly can in those people that are walking on earth because the Lord loves his children. For those people that are not saved yet, he loves you. He does not desire for anyone to perish. He's reaching out to you. But the enemy, the forces of darkness want to cause all this mayhem and confusion. So to me, it's also another perfect example of absolute, utter, sword-clashing spiritual warfare. The enemy wants to twist and deceive and put an ounce of truth in a huge vat of a lie. When when we're sitting there and we're looking at this, because a lot of this holiday really, really, really has a lot of memories tied to it. You know, maybe people are hearing this and they're going, I didn't know this was pagan. I didn't know that, but I grew up with it. I mean, come on. I'm trying to celebrate Christ's uh, death, re- that, g- the Good Friday, where when he died, death, burial, resurrection. I understand. Okay, so there might be some issues, but that's not my heart. I'm not trying to celebrate a pagan holiday. I'm trying to celebrate my Lord. Right. And what does the Lord say to that? That's why I set it up the way that I did tonight, because we need to remember, what does that feel like if you're seeing a person who's a follower of Yeshua and you live in the ancient world and the whole world worships the sun God, the whole world does infanticide, the whole world does child sacrifice, the whole world does it. You are the exception to the rule if you're a believer. And I just read that scripture and gave you the, the second example also out of Exodus, where that is one of the pinnacle stories where they were attempting to do pagan practices and to attribute it to the one true God. And anybody who's ever read that passage, God was pretty ticked. And he says over and over, let's see if there, I wrote down some other verses here. Let's go through a couple of these other ones. When God's talking about these other nations and their other practices, he's telling you, when you go take the land, don't you dare do what they do. And one of the things he says in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 12, 3 and 4, he says, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Is that pretty clear? Yeah, that's pretty clear. So for those who are listening, that was Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. And we'll be sure to have the the uh, scripture in the show notes so you can refer to it. Amen. Amen. So then let's, let's, now that we've kind of exposed and kind of ripped off the, the, uh, the veneer. Yeah. I mean, and expose the paganism for what it is. And, you know, you bring up the infanticide and we see that today. I mean, we see it all over today. Matter of fact, here, you know what, Teresa, here's a really good quote that I wrote down from the Barnum Group Research. And it's used in this video. So it's a couple of years old, but it's still absolutely applicable, even more so now than it was when this was written. Here's the quote. The problem facing the Christian church is not that the people lack a complete set of beliefs. The problem is that they have a full slate of beliefs in mind, which they think are consistent with biblical teaching, and they are neither open to being proven wrong nor to learning new insights. It may well be that spiritual evaluation is so uncommon because people fear that the results might suggest the need for different growth strategies or for more aggressive engagement in the growth process. 
no matter what the underlying reason is, the bottom line among both the clergy and laity was indifference toward their acknowledged lack of evaluation. That is directly linked to the fact that over 70% of Christian kids that go to their first year of college, by the time they finish their first year, they're either atheist or agnostic. Unreal. Because the pulpit has been speaking out of two sides of their mouths for a very long time. And I recognized this when I was a kid. I was asking questions like, "What?" but these things are contradictory. Well, guess what? The word of God isn't contradictory. It's the traditions of men. That's what the contradiction is. The word of God doesn't have the contradiction. If these Easter holidays are truly pagan, vile, and disgusting, I mean, and you pretty much laid out the case for that. No, I hadn't what made it, the connection with Lent. No, I hadn't either. That was That's uh, very interesting because um, I know people that truly celebrate it and the, and they do the whole Ash Wednesday thing. They they you know, so I mean they're like neck deep into that. So mm-hmm. what if someone wants to get out of that? Because that's a pretty heavy if you start telling your church, Well, I'm not gonna celebrate this anymore, and they ask you why, and you and you say, I don't because it's a pagan holiday, that's a pretty high price heavy um mantle right there. And think back to how we set this up this evening. That's why I really felt like the Lord wanted me to lead it off with, okay, put yourself, you're in the ancient world, and the whole world does this. And becoming a follower of Yeshua, they are forsaking all of the traditions. They are forsaking bringing the the pine trees into the house. They are forsaking doing a 40-day fast and eating a pig. They're forsaking all of this because everybody did it. So, yeah, we've become so complacent in the West, especially, I think, in the United States. We've become so complacent. There is no cost. We have become a follower of tradition without asking where the tradition came from. And then if we take the time to look back through history and understand the history of the development of what is, what is the Christian faith, which is the following, following Yeshua HaMashiach, his name in Hebrew is Yeshua. And in Hebrew, his name actually has a significant meaning. It means salvation. The name Jesus, even though there's nothing wrong with you using the English Jesus, it was a name built because they didn't have a translation for it. And literally, it really doesn't have a meaning. It's just it was built to try and substitute for Yeshua. So that's why a lot of us, it's like, you know what? Once I learned what his real name was, I was really upset that I had never been taught that. I love him. I want to know what his real name is. And his name has meaning. And so when I'm calling on him, I'm calling upon him. He is my salvation. He's not a concept, right? So there's meaning behind this stuff. This is why, this is why in my line of work, dealing with spiritual warfare, this is why this is not a small thing. People do pagan practices. People are leaving the Christian church in droves because of all of this nonsense. And they're not seeing any power in the Christian church. And the Christian church has been incredibly, shockingly infiltrated by so much pagan stuff. They're leaving the Christian church in droves and they're going to Wicca. Why are they going to Wicca and witchcraft? Because there's power there. So when you're doing these pagan practices, there is power there. So this is why you're not seeing the power that we should be seeing in the Christian church. 
And this is why you're seeing power in when you just give up the Christian church and go full bore into the into the pagan practice, because there is some power behind these practices. You have to sit there and ask yourself, okay, yes, if there's power there, what kind of power? What kind of power are you messing with? Because it, if, if you've left the Christian church, then you're not messing with the power that's of God. And as God said in the verse we quoted already in Deuteronomy 12, you shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. And think about something else, too, if it's kind of an offshoot. But, you know, what is it that's this, this ceremonial ham? Pork is forbidden for followers of Yeshua. You know, and we could get into the whole grace versus law, et cetera, and all that, but that, that's not the point. You know, it, it, this is an unclean animal. We're taking an unclean animal and we're eating it. Um, not only that, if you look at uh, in Maccabees, they sacrificed a pig on the altar of the temple and they defiled the temple. And that's also what the Antichrist is supposed to do. He's supposed to take a pig into the altar, into this, into the Holy of Holies, and sacrifice a pig on the altar. So what are we doing celebrating it? Desecration. And what are we doing? The thing. I mean, come on. What are we doing celebrating unholy, godforsaken days? And trying to turn that into, oh, we're celebrating Christ. Yeah, so they're having an Ishtar worship service and claiming that they're celebrating Yeshua. They're going home after the service and they're eating a pig and saying that they're doing it all to celebrate Yeshua. These things are detestable to God. We need to recognize this. So my, it's like my what I'm I'm just pleading with people who are listening because it was such a profound shift for me. And I know it's been a profound shift for the two of you also. I, I'm just pleading with you, please pray about this. This is really shocking and it's really hard to swallow. You can't, you're like, what? How can it be? And you got to remember, this is why I felt like the Lord was telling me to set it up the way that I did, because he wants you to think if you were living in that time, everybody did it. What's wrong with it? Why should we not do this? Everybody's done it. It's been, it's been this way for a long time. We don't, we're told to not do it because it's detestable to the Lord. It's detestable to him. Cities were destroyed for these behaviors. So we need to go back to the word of God. And that's something that um, the listeners who have heard me before on your program and anytime they've heard all of us together, this is something we've said a lot. I say it to all of my clients. What I teach is the whole word of God cover to cover. I don't teach a portion of it, not a chapter of it, and not just the Gospels. It's all of it. If you don't have the understanding of where we came from, you don't understand the profundity of what we've been given in the four Gospels. To put it another way, if you don't understand how sinful your sin is, then you don't understand the the magnitude of the gift that we've been given. When Yeshua died and took all of our sin on himself, all of this infanticide that is being celebrated in the Ishtar feast, he took all of that iniquity on himself. We need to go to the word of God. He says, I bore all of this. I've called you out. I'm calling you out from among them. I'm calling you to be separate, set apart. Just like in the ancient world, if you became a believer, you were the exception to the rule. People thought you were nuts. But guess what? When they saw the work of the Holy Spirit, 
when they saw people getting healed, when they saw everything and it was built on the word of God and the word of God is truth. Truth is not a concept. It is a person. The way, the truth and the life is Yeshua HaMashiach. So we need to get to the truth, stay with the truth. And it's not rocket science. It's really right here for us to read. But pastors are afraid to, if they even know, if they're even willing to look at this, they're afraid to preach it from the pulpit because they know that they're going to get a lot of hate. People don't like to give up their they, people don't like to give up their traditions. No, no, and I really and the Lord just kind of made a connection for me in my mind um, as we were talking. You know, we talk about the infanticide that um, human sacrifice and the baby sacrifice that was done during these type of holidays was the ancient world's abortion. We are practicing the same exact things. We see this in, you know, you see this happening in, in, in a bunch of our states. We, it was the ancient world's abortions. And I want to take a minute to speak to someone who might have said, I've done that. I mean, I've killed, I've killed my kid. Maybe not in the same way, but I've, I've had an abortion. This is in no way condemning or pointing a finger at you. If you've, if you've been there and you've walked that path, um, there is forgiveness. That's why Christ died. Amen. There is total forgiveness. But just like they had to forsake everything mm. back in that time, and they had to walk away from all that infanticide and all that pagan human sacrifice and all that garbage and all that filth, they had to walk away from that. You have to make a choice to say, you know what? No more. It stops with me. We certainly can't continue the behavior. So yes, there's absolutely forgiveness for us when we repent sincerely, but we can't then continue to have abortions. We can't then we can't then um, start throwing stones at people and saying we declare that we want to be able to continue having abortions that are paid for by taxpayer funds and all of this kind of stuff. Well, as a as a believer in Yeshua, I don't want my taxes to pay for someone else's abortion. I don't want to want to participate that because. I understand from a biblical perspective how detestable that is to God. So it's not about saying there's unforgiveness because that's not the truth. I'm so glad you said that, Teresa. There is forgiveness. But we have to start taking a hard look at where our culture has gone. And it has carried us along with it. And people are afraid. You know, we need, you know, this is one of the things. Why, why do you think Joshua was celebrated so much in scripture? He was bold. He was not bending the word of God. He said, God, tell me, I go take the land. We can do it. We can take them. Come on, guys. But we are afraid to even say from the pulpit, why would we participate in an Ishtar feast? We need to look at the word of God. And this would never get, we would, this would never have happened if the population who claims to be Christian in the, in the United States actually read the word of God. And especially if we actually read the word of God, the whole word of God, not just the four gospels, because all of these stories are referred to throughout the gospels. Amen. Well, and then you also see this, um, not just in Easter, but you see this around Christmas. I mean, and that's another show that we're going to have to do. Um, we're going to have to dig into that when that time comes around. But you also see this around Halloween. I mean, how many churches are, are doing harvest festivals? All this garbage. It's almost like, If if someone was to, if someone was from the ancient world was to come into one of our Christian services, they'd be like, well, what's the difference? We practice that stuff. Exactly. 
I'm so glad that you see that. That's exactly why we laid it out this way. That's exactly what it is. They would be perfectly comfortable. Oh, okay. And there's a lot more than we can talk about in our show here today. But, but this will get you started. And we really, I really encourage you, pray, and then watch the video that's going to be linked in the show notes. Such an outstanding presentation. Lots of scripture. They show you all of the archaeology. So you really get to see it. It's not just a man in a, behind a pulpit delivering a message. It's about all of the media that you need. It's very powerful. And it will absolutely be astonishing to you. And you'll need to pray about it afterwards and say, wow, Lord, what do I do with this knowledge? Now that I know, I can't unknow. Now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. And, you know, the thing is, there is an alternative. And what you should be doing, and, and the Bible commands us to do this, to, to participate in the Jewish feasts. Well, and, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Okay. Now, maybe They're not. Jewish feasts. I, I apologize. That's all right, because I want them to notice that because people say it all the time. They are the feasts of the Lord. They have never been the Jewish feasts. They are the feasts of the Lord that got sanitized out of the believing church at the time of Constantine and with all the anti-Semitism and with all of the expulsions from both Italy and Rome uh, and Spain. So continue, Michael, but that's where that came from, just making sure people understand. No, no, thank you. Thank you for correcting me because I, you know, I, I slipped too every now and then. And guys, um, but there is have, an alternative. That's what I'm trying right. to say. There, there right. is an alternative to, to celebrating this pagan holiday. And guys, as of this podcast, you should already have a uh, podcast that I did with Landra already in the feed. So, and, and it actually walks through the Feast of Passover, which ha- happens to be coming around the same time as Easter. So, I recommend if you haven't listened to that, please go listen to that. Go learn what that was all about, because I'm telling you guys, Mike and I have made the decision after watching this video fully mm-hmm. that we will not celebrate pagan holidays. We no. will not be celebrating Easter this year at all. We will not be celebrating Christmas. No. For the same reason, and we'll get into that later. But the fact is that, you know, God presented us an alternative, and we're going to take that alternative. And I highly recommend if you are are really interested in digging in deeper, if you get the opportunity, look for a Messianic congregation in your area and ask them if they're going to celebrate a Passover and the Seder. The Seder is the, trying to help me out here. You know more about it. I'm still learning. The Passover Seder, no, you're doing great. The Passover Seder is when you get together and you actually celebrate the Passover together in the congregation. It's, it's referring to what you do together as the congregation. It's not just referring to the date of it. So the Passover Seder is when you go and you pray a certain way and you say certain things and you're doing it. It is the celebration of the Passover. That's the Passover Seder. Thank you. So, I mean, and I participated in a couple of them, and they're incredible. And Yeshua falls right into it. Oh, man. That's what's so neat about it. I mean, it's, you know, Jesus was the sacrificed lamb. He was the Passover lamb. That's right. So all these things, and, and even for people that are, that, are, that are Jewish and not followers of Yeshua, you know, they're, they're basically... Help me out, Son. Not- They're awaiting the coming Messiah, yeah. but they don't realize that he's already come. 
Yeah, because there was a confusion. They thought it was going to be two separate messiahs. But what they didn't realize is that it's one messiah who comes twice. And that's when that's one of the things that a lot of Jewish people are getting saved. And we're seeing it just unbelievable um, salvations all throughout Israel and everything. But you brought up such an important point. Let me just make this one quick point. You know, the Lord didn't say here, you've been celebrating these pagan things. Let me give you an alternative to celebrating the pagan thing. No, God had his ways and the enemy was trying to inoculate us against what God was about to reveal. Do you understand? The enemy wanted to twist because remember when we talk about the occult, the occult is the inversion of what God's God's law is. So the enemy, the Lord of darkness, always want to invert and pervert everything that God created. So God didn't say, oh, well, you know, that boy, my kids have had a hard time. You know, they're used to me doing these. Parades. Why don't I why don't I send them some peace? That's not how God God is not reacting to the nonsense that the enemy is doing. God knew before Satan fell that he was going to fall because God is omniscient. There's nothing that he doesn't know. None of this was a surprise to him. So before he even created the foundations of the earth, he knew every sin that I was going to commit. He knew every sin that you were going to commit. And he chose to go to the cross for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the priests are incredibly powerful and they're prophetic. This is what drives me nuts that the Christian church is missing all of this information because they don't even realize the feasts are all about Yeshua. Everything that God says, because God says he glorifies the son and the son glorifies the father. And yet the father and the son are one. So he's glorifying the father. Everything about the feast that God gave to the children of Israel, every detail is about Yeshua. And when I started recognizing that, it was one of the things that made me just start crying because Think about it logically for just a second, the implications of that one statement. Oh my gosh, that means the word of God is true because it was prophetic a thousand years ahead of time. Oh my gosh, it's prophetic about the second coming because the second coming is still to come and it's talking about us rehearsing for the second coming. So everything about the feast, it's not something that's legalistic. It's God's celebration with us and training his children what we were supposed to look for. It was giving us object lessons of how to recognize the Messiah. And it's also giving us an object lesson on how to recognize the end of days when he returns the second time. So let me give you a really quick rundown here. Yeshua, the spring feasts are all fulfilled. There are seven main feasts. The spring feasts have all been fulfilled in the first coming of Yeshua. Okay. So he was conceived on Hanukkah, which is the feast of lights. He died on Passover as the Passover lamb. He was put in the grave during the feast of unleavened bread because he's the bread of life. He rose on the feast of first fruits. The Holy Spirit came down to us on the feast of Shavuot. We'll get what is the feast of Shavuot? Pentecost. The feast of Pentecost. Okay. Well, the feast of Pentecost is the celebration of the day that God gave the commandments on Mount Sinai. So remember, Yeshua is the law. Yeshua is the word. The word is God and word and the word of God dwelt among us, right? He is the law. He is everything. He's the one who bore the law on his shoulders by his sacrifice. So the second coming is not yet fulfilled. And we, we know that he's going to return on the Feast of Trumpets, which is also referred to as Yom Hurrah. So we say all throughout the scriptures, when it's talking about the second coming, the dead in Christ are going to rise at the sound of the trumpet. We, there are lots of verses about the sound of the trumpet at the second coming. 
So that's the Feast of Trumpets. We are preparing and rehearsing for the Feast of Trump for the Feast of Trumpets when he returns. Ten days later is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. That's when the priest applies the blood of the sacrifice to the Ark of the Covenant, satisfying the needs of Torah and atoning for all of the sins of the entire nation of which we are grafted in, right? So then the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the Feast of Sukkot, is eight days after that. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we come to Tabernacle, he comes to Tabernacle with us. We are feasting. We are celebrating the marriage. It's the marriage feast. So all of this has incredible meaning. And Purim is a lesser feast. It's not the seven major feasts, but it's one of the lesser feasts. Purim is all about spiritual warfare. It's all about it's all about Haman trying to destroy the nation. If if Haman was able to destroy the nation, Yeshua couldn't have been born. So can you see the cosmic chess match, as Eli Marzulli says? The cosmic chess match. The enemy was trying to stamp out any possibility of Yeshua being born. This is not coincidental. So there, there is so much here we could we could talk about it for days. I just want to encourage the listeners. If you have been feeling like you need more, like maybe there's just not enough meat at the church you're going to, or you're just wondering, is this all there is? Is it just box ticking? I went to church this week. I ticked the box and I went to midweek Bible study and I ticked the box. But all we really did was eat fattening food and pray for five minutes before we left. Okay, if that's where you're at, I'm telling you there is so much more. And I cried when I first found out all of this stuff years ago, I cried and cried and cried and cried. I couldn't believe. I kept saying, Lord, why don't we all know this? Why aren't they teaching this from the pulpits? Now I understand that the yod heh is the in the in the Hebrew ancient, um, uh, the ancient Hebrew, the Paleo-Hebrew, is saying the God with the nailed hand who shall be revealed twice. That's what the name says in the ancient Hebrew. We need to understand this. The word of God is true. It's living and it's sharp, going to the heart, dividing even the bone from the marrow. I just want to encourage you. Our faith is not in vain. His word is true. Amen. And to the person who may not uh, be a believer or may not call himself a Christian, you've heard from all three of us kind of where we're at. I'm not calling you into the Christian church and into the uh, these pagan holidays. I'm saying receive Christ, receive Yeshua as your Lord and Savior. I'm not asking you to join up on, into a religion. Trust no. me, I've had my fill of religion. I hate religion. I do. It's the difference I, between religion versus relationship. Yeah. And, 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 and. You know, um, I've always heard that religion is man's attempt to get to God. But what being a Christian means is God came down to you, you know, and he said, hey, you know what? I know you can't get this on your own. So I'm going to stretch out my hands. I'm going to die on that cross and I'm going to rise and I'm going to be willing to accept you no matter what you've done, no matter what kind of garbage you've been in. I'm willing to accept you. That's what this is about. And then you 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 start you can start you know learning uh, uh, spiritual warfare, learning about the feast, learning about these different things that we've talked about this evening. And I challenge you guys, there's more. I mean, even Sonda, even me listening to you, I was sitting there, and you just running through the feast. Yeah, I knew it, but just hearing that um, like ignites something to me. I'm like, man, I want to know more. <laughs> yeah, there's so much there, and the meat, you know. 
you feel it. You can feel it. It's like, oh my gosh, the word of God is true. And when you hear, if you've never heard a shofar blast, when you hear the shofar, there's just something about it. I'm telling you, and I've learned over the years, first of all, because it was it was um, ordained by God, but it's also an incredibly powerful supernatural weapon that the forces of darkness cannot stand. Absolutely run the other direction when you're blowing the shofar as a believer in Yeshua. We know who we are and we know who wins. And because we have chosen to look at the whole word of God, not just part of it, we have increasingly bold faith because we know because he's been faithful up to this point and everything in the word of God has been true. We know we can have faith for what he said is about to take place. He has us in the palm of his hand. We are going to see amazing things. And the Lord wants to move among his people and he can't move in his people the way he wants to when they're trying to celebrate pagan feasts and do it like the children of Israel did with Aaron, do a pagan feast and trying to do it to the Lord, uh, the King of glory. He does not receive that. Amen. Now, can I ask one one simple one question that kind of came to mind? And this may be an argument that uh, I could kind of hear. Well, the Lord rose on the first day of the week, and it says in Acts that the disciples gathered on the first day of the week. Uh, so by celebrating Easter on that Sunday, aren't we celebrating him? Well, find it in Scripture. That's not what they do. Sabbath is Sabbath. Sabbath never changes. God says for all generations, over and over and over, he says, keep my Sabbath holy. Keep my Sabbath holy. Keep my Sabbath holy. Over and over. I mean, he repeats it so many times. Sabbath is Sabbath. And they were celebrating on Passover, knowing that he died on Passover. So having Passover are the feasts we are to be celebrating. It's part of the feast we're celebrating. It doesn't mean that you can't say, oh, um, actually, there's a lot of debate about that. So that's something we would have to address on another day. There's just so much there that we know. Don't get caught up in what you aren't sure of. Start focusing on what you know for a fact God told you to do. And then the other stuff will become clearer as you start working that out. Don't argue about, okay, well, you can't answer one obscure question, so I'm not going to listen to anything else. Well, no, start with what you know you can prove. Start with the scriptures we've already given you today. Start with what you can prove from history and the, and the quotes I gave you from Constantine himself, saying that all of the early believers throughout all of those countries all celebrated on Passover. So, you know, we know when this is, God's calendar is, was the calendar that they were on in the Hebrew calendar. We have been on the wrong calendar because with Constantine and the early formation, which became the Catholic Church, they went to the Gregorian calendar, which was the calendar based on the sun, which was because of the sun god. Hello, right? So the calendars are never going to match up. So there are many years where the people are having Easter celebrations, celebrating, they think, celebrating the um, resurrection of Christ when, according to God's calendar, he hasn't even died yet. So it's often backwards. So we have to get on the right calendar, and that calendar makes an outstanding difference. And matter of fact, I, I want to refer your listeners to Pastor Mark Biltz and El Shaddai Ministries. He's the one who wrote the book, The Blood Moons. He's the one who discovered all of that research. A lot of people used his research and then didn't give him credit, but he's the one who discovered all of that research. His book is outstanding. His ministry is outstanding. He has a lot of this information. You can really dig in and get some meat of the word with him. Also, Dr. Michael Lake is an outstanding resource. Look up his um, his ministry online. He's got stuff on YouTube, and he also has a ministry um, online um, that you can look up there. 
lots of really good resources that are totally solid in the word of God that you can start digging into and you will just, you'll have, you'll know what it feels like to start getting me to the word and you're going to go, okay, wait a minute. Now this is making sense. All those questions that don't really make sense. The things that used to bother me when I was much younger, these things don't make sense. Why do we dye Easter eggs? I used to wonder that. What does this have to do with the Bible? What does this have to do with Yeshua? What does this have to do with him rising from the dead? None of this makes any sense. Well, there was a reason we thought it didn't make sense. But it was years later that I found this out. So dig into what we know, dig into what's reliable that is truly built on the word of God. And you're going to, you're going to, your life's going to be changed in an unbelievably wonderful way. And everybody that I know, me included, and I think you guys said this to me too, everybody that I know that stopped doing Sunday and went back to, to keeping the Sabbath holy had dramatic changes in their lives. I know business stopped working on Sabbath, business instantly. I know someone personally that stopped working, made the decision to stop working on Sabbath, which was his biggest selling day. And he thought about it for a long time. And he said, okay, Lord, I'm not going to work on Sabbath anymore. I'm going to shut down and we're going to honor the Sabbath the way you told us to. The month he did that, the first week he did was the biggest selling month they've ever had in their company's history. I am actually going to be doing on the uh, Teresa Blaze show, I'm going to be doing three reasons why you need a day of rest. And I'm gonna, uh, and I'm gonna be outlining that because it's gonna be focusing more on the entrepreneurial side of things, uh, you know, just some things that I have noticed on that side of things. So I, I back what Sonda has said completely and totally. So, but um, and, and El Shaddai is a great resource. That's oh. where we we're there, and if we're not available, if we like Teresa was out of town and I I was out of town for a doctor's appointment. The good thing is that they record them and you can go back and listen to them after the fact if you need to. But attending it live, oh man, it's it is nothing like it. Yeah, so, it is really wonderful. Sonda, thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for um, taking the, scale, the, the, the scales off of this. This is a, it's a tough subject, but it needed to be dealt with. Yeah. Yeah, it was tough when I first found it all out too, but it's necessary. And because of the time that we live in, because we are in the end of days, we need to put aside everything that so easily entangles us. That's one of the scriptures that comes to mind. Once you know it, you can't unknow it. You have to say, okay, what am I going to do with it now? So put it aside. Come out of her, my people. He says, come out of my people and be a holy people set apart unto me. That's what the Lord is saying to you right now. Amen. And here's the thing, guys. You know, if you're a pastor or or some kind of an elder or something in your church, you know, uh, the Bible holds you accountable for what you teach your people. And also and, what you know. And what you know. So once you know this stuff and you know the truth, then you, you, you better make some changes because if you're not, God will hold you accountable. I promise you. You know, and if you're just blowing this off, God forgive you. Know that there is forgiveness for those that have been practicing it. I mean, I when I when I came out, I had to pretty much go, God forgive me. I don't ever want to celebrate that again. God forgive me, please. Yes. You know, and that there is forgiveness, but it it also means you got to make a change. It means you got to repent for for getting caught in that trap. Yep. And, and that's what gotta, repentance means, if you'll remember, is to turn 
around from whatever your sin was and walk away in the opposite direction. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but you get the point. It doesn't mean just, oh, yeah, uh, oh, Lord, forgive me. And, uh, oh, yeah, I'm going to go back and do it again. No. You really have to change your direction. You know what, Michael? I think we just talked about that the other day. That's what Shema is. Hear, oh, Israel. oh, yeah. Yeah. Hear, oh, Israel. But in the Hebrew, the word that we get in, la- in the English language is just hear. But the word in the Hebrew doesn't mean just hear. It means hear and obey. Hear and do. So it's talking about repentance. It's calling us to all to be in repentance. And, um, you know, we don't have time to get much into this, but. You know, when you understand what repentance really is, it's a joyful thing. It's, oh, Lord, thank you for pointing this out to me. Thank you that you've shown me there's something between you and me. Thank you, Lord, that with your power, I'm able to remove this and be in right standing with you. If we want to know the power and the deliverance and the mighty works of the Lord God Almighty in our lives, we have to be willing to walk away from all of this stuff, the residue and and the stuff from all of this iniquity that is so detestable to him. He is so standing there with open arms. He wants you to recognize this. He wants you to repent. He wants to forgive you. And he wants you to have more power and more of a presence of him in your own life. He has a purpose for you in the end of days. We've been called for such a time as this. He is a powerful God. He wants to operate in a powerful way through you. Because of that, I mean, it's not like it's not like God is standing there pointing his finger at you and going, you, you, you stupid, dirty sinner. What are you doing? How dare you? No, he wants you to turn from this stuff so that he can. I, I can't even put words to it, but he doesn't. He isn't looking to beat you up. He gets it. He gets the fact that you've gone through some stuff and that you want to make the changes. And you know what? He's looking forward to watching you make those changes and helping you do it. You know what? I just thought of another metaphor that might help someone. Think of it like this. You're a husband. You just got married. And your wife's birthday is April 22nd. And you are supposed to get her a birthday present because you know you love her and you want to give her a birthday present every year. But you had an ex-girlfriend that you were with for 10 years and her birthday was May 22nd. And so you say to your new wife, you know, I hope it's not a problem for you, but, you know, I'm just really used to it for 10 years. I've been doing it on May 22nd. So I'm just going to keep doing your birthday on May 22nd. I hope you don't mind. Uh, that wouldn't go over well. Times 10 when we're talking about God. Okay. Yeah. Just something to consider, guys. And I mean, obviously, we could go on for a while, but I real, I, I, I just, I think we need to leave it there. Thank you, Sonda. Thank you so much for 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 um, bringing this out. And Michael, thank you for for uh, joining in in this conversation. Oh, you're uh, you're very welcome. I'm so blown away with how how much the how much the ministry has grown. I mean, this we're just getting ready to publish episode number seventy six, and we started off with nothing. So we're we're well, doing what God told, be- told us to do. <laughs> It'll probably be closer to 78 as of this episode, but, uh, right. Yeah. I mean, I am honestly blown away. This has been a total God thing. And, mm-hmm. for, and so on to having you partner and, 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 and work with this, this thing and has been totally incredible. So, Amen. well, um, it's my pleasure to be here. And, and I'll just remind your listeners be assured that we are praying for you. We pray for the listeners all the time. We pray before every recording of every episode. And 
And I know that Michael and Teresa do that when I'm not with them. They are praying for you. We are interceding for you. The Lord has more for you. With that, we're going to leave it on that note. Guys, this has been the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, along with Sonda Ellison and Michael Blaze. Guys, seek after the Lord while he may be found. Amen. Seek after him. I'm Teresa Blaze. We will speak again next time. You've been listening to the Unresolved Life Podcast. To catch all our past shows, go to unresolved.life. That's unresolved.life.